0: Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. And I wanna get right into it this week. We've got a very special guest in the show. We're continuing this week our series about the economic, political, and cultural realities of our modern world and the ways that we see those realities reflected in Trek. Oh, Real quick, let's just complete the cycle of the last months and years of psychic tension, get a little closure. I hope you got a chance to vote in the election. I hope the person that you wanted to win won, and I hope you're able to accept the result if they did not. But either way, it's back to the business of government. This place has been a McDonald's play place for too long now. No matter which side of the ball pit you're on, we gotta clean the puke up and replace the old foil ashtrays, remember those? Because the lunch rush is coming. Anyway, this week on the show, I'm speaking with Josh Zelikovitz of the podcast Star Trek and the Jews, a show that boldly explores the world of Jews and Judaism. And I'm so happy that this show exists. It's due to the hard work of Josh and his co host Hava, of course, but I had one of those experiences where it seemed like the internet spookily birthed something that I desired, like I was, you know, on Solaris or something. I'd been thinking about the portrayal or general lack of portrayal of religion and ethnic traditions on screen in Star Trek, and specifically on screen. I know many Trek authors whose characters identify as practicers of recognizable Earth religions, but we'd never see stuff like that on screen. And I was also thinking specifically about the Jewish people and how I know they exist in the 24th century, so why don't we see anyone who is specifically Jewish in Trek? Shatner is Jewish, why isn't Kirk? And I was thinking all these things and I thought, you know, I want to talk about that on the show. And there must be somebody who's studying the intersection of Jewishness and Star Trek. Cut to me Googling Star Trek Jews and bingo presto. It's Star Trek and the Jews. Thank God for straightforward podcast names. And thank God that Josh and Hava are such big Star Trek fans and so knowledgeable about Judaism and have such a cool show where they find the Jewishness in Star Trek. If you want to know more, I've got links in the show notes to the podcast and also an article by somebody that Josh mentions in the interview, Sheldon Teitelbaum, who relates his experiences of interviewing Gene Roddenberry. If you want to connect with Star Trek and the Jews on Twitter, they're at at Star Jews. You can always find us at Pod on Twitter we're on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash EISTPod. Don't forget that we've got a live show at 7 p.m. Central on Thursday nights called Discoverage, where we review the week's Star Trek Discovery episode. Join us for that. And that is all from me. We'll see you next week for another episode. Enjoy the interview. And until then, live long and prosper. My guest on the show today is Josh Zelikovitz. Josh, along with his broadcasting partner Hava, are the hosts of Star Trek and the Jews, a monthly podcast that uses Star Trek to boldly explore The world of Jews and Judaism. Josh, welcome to the show.
1: Aaron, thanks so much for having me.
0: It's great to have you aboard. I always ask new guests on the show how they first became Star Trek fans. How did you first discover Star Trek?
1: Um, I think uh, I might be a fourth generation fan, Uh, (laughs) pardon me, a third generation fan. I grew up watching it, you know, I you probably hear this from a lot of people, but it was like Sesame Street and Star Trek. So <laughs> I never don't heard ever heard remember not having it in my life. and. <laughs> Uh, you know, you look back at the old Halloween costumes and, and there I am as captain Kirk, except that I'm sure captain Kirk's mom never made him wear his winter coat underneath his uniform because in Canada it's cold on October 31st. Yes. But uh, yeah, I'm a lifer.
0: That's, that's so cool. I, I, um, I love star Trek probably around the same time that I love Sesame street, but it just wasn't at that time. There was no merchandise or anything like that for it. Cause it was, you know, fandom was sort of dormant. So I probably would have loved to have worn uh. A Spock uh, a uniform or something like that but just didn't exist for me
1: the the uniform I had was one passed down that um, that somebody who worked in my grandparents ladies wear shop made for my dad when he was like about seven years old wow Uh, so it's a it's an heirloom and and we'll see if my if my toddler wants it when she's a couple
0: years old (laughs) there you go yeah have to continue the tradition. Well, it's great to have you on the show, and thanks so much for sitting down with me. Uh, I was so glad to discover your podcast because I think it's a fascinating topic, but it's also a it's a complicated topic, so I'll definitely be looking for your guidance in this conversation. Where did the inspiration for Star Trek of the Jews come from?
1: I think that... Uh... My Jewishness, like my Star Trek fandom, is something that uh, that I carry with me all the time. And there are areas of my life that have... Uh, in very many ways informed my worldview and really informed my identity. Um, I also think like there is a lot of Jewishness in Star Trek and uh, it hasn't really been uncovered in systematic ways. There you know people have written articles and there have been a couple of books but um, not a whole lot of it in the podcast space. Um, Two shows that I really like are Another Star Trek podcast, uh, Greatest Generation, which is like a sure. very whimsical, fart jokey kind of yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah. and Judaism Unbound, which is a show about finding radical new ways to reimagine Star Trek, uh, reimagine Judaism. And so uh, I think we try to synthesize those two a little bit where we try to be lighthearted and have fun and radically rethink Jewish ideas.
0: Um, and uh yeah, we, we we try to muddle through with that. I, there's a lot of Star Trek podcasts, as as I'm sure you know. And I think the key to standing out and getting an audience is providing something specific. You know, there's plenty of shows where it's like three fat guys talking about Star Trek or something like that. But the shows that um, that I appreciate, uh, things like Women at Warp that look at um, intersectionality, Great feminism. Show. Yeah, in the in the uh, show. And uh, what I try to do with my show is, um, I think. How you really find a specific audience, and of course, just you know, being entertaining and funny as well, which the uh, the uh, next gen guys have definitely figured out, or the uh, the great the greatest gen guys.
1: I think something your show and mine have in common is that the show has become a vehicle for interesting conversations with interesting people, and so we have a segment on ours called Reb Alert, yes. where we bring in. Uh, sometimes a rabbi, sometimes uh, a, another scholar or teacher of some kind. We kind of interpret reb, which is like another word for rabbi in a in the loose meaning of the word as like teacher. Uh, yeah. And so those conversations have have been really fun.
0: Those conversations are great, and uh, I haven't heard every episode of your show, but it seems like sometimes your guest is. Uh, is it familiar with Star Trek. And sometimes they're just game to talk about Judaism and, uh, and Star Trek.
1: Yeah, they run the whole gamut.
0: Uh, oh, oh, you've always got your, um, your Jewish school homework, though, uh, to let people prepare before they come on your show.
1: Yes. And, and like the real life Hebrew school homework, we suspect that people don't usually do it, but <laughs> uh, at least we like to put up forward uh, uh, what episodes we're going to mostly focus on, but, but we jump through the whole canon. And um, one of the fun things about the show too, is that um, I came in as, you know, like I said, a lifer sort of familiarity with Star Trek all the way through its history. And my co-host is a, um, a person who grew up watching Voyager, but has been like slowly watching the rest of the Trek as an adult. Sure. And she went to Orthodox Day school, K-12, to and my Jewish education came much later and much more informally. So we we kind of have different strengths there.
0: Something that I find fascinating and maybe also a little distressing about Star Trek is that as far as I can tell, None of the major characters in any Star Trek series are Jewish, and I'm not sure that, with some exceptions, a Jewish person has ever been explicitly depicted on screen in Trek. And you make a comment on your show that you know Albert Einstein does appear in an episode of TNG, and I think we may see we might see two guys with sidelocks in a street scene in Far Beyond the Stars. But on the whole, Jews just aren't represented culturally or religiously on Star Trek.
1: Yeah, um, the only mentions of Jews in Star Trek are one with that really obnoxious holographic comedian, and you have to literally slow down the playback in order to hear it. And once when it's being uttered by a holographic Nazi when they, you know, when the Herosian fought Voyager in World War II on the the holodeck that time, um, there's there's some coded Jews who I, I think Jewish watchers of the show really grab onto them and maybe they they ping the the Judar. So um, the Rojenkos really come yeah. to mind. Yeah. Um, and of course, like Worf's adopted father um, is like a, a famed actor of Yiddish theater. Yeah. Um, Dr. Moritz Ben-Ayun in uh, season one of Picard very recently, like very Jewish coded. Um, and sometimes, you know, characters are Jewish coded in like a negative way where it seems like, you know, I think of a character like Kiva Fajo or Arne Darvin, oh, uh, where yeah. the writers have like leaned into some Jewish stereotypes, but aren't, aren't really um, trying to like depict a Jewish character rather. They're like playing on tropes.
0: I totally forgot. When I just in preparation for this about Saul Rubenick, uh appearing in that episode. Um but I mean, like, he's he's a great actor, but he just kind of always plays, like, the same kind of character, which I imagine is very similar to himself. So I'm not sure if that was, like, a conscious choice on their part. But, you know, you mentioned um, the Rozhankos, and I had read that they were more or less, like, explicitly set up to be uh, representing Russian Jews, but the studio got skittish, uh, or Pillar and Berman did, and sort of decided to downplay that.
1: Yeah, um, that's in... Um... I think that's in Larry Namachik's book and you never mm-hmm. really know like how much is censorship how much is self-censorship because people are worried about it being censored how much yeah. is trying to play to a a broad audience but uh it, we're definitely lacking like a like a full authentically Jewish character who kind of lives their Jewishness out loud and yeah, you know obviously yeah. Star Trek has um you know, from Gene Roddenberry's vision of a world where, you know, I don't think Gene Roddenberry would approve of a show called Star Trek and the Jews. <laughs> um, I think that his disdain for, Jude- for religion um, is, like, very informed by his, like, Southern Baptist, like, Protestant understanding of what a religion is. Yeah. And, like, you know, Jewishness kind of blurs those lines between religion, ethnicity, nationality, culture, family, tradition. Um, yeah. It's only really in like the 17th or 18th centuries that people start to think of Judaism as like a religion. And that kind of fits into the story of like emancipation of European Jewry. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that... Uh, Jews have been omitted in a way that other cultural groups uh, haven't been. Um, Although I did notice in the first episode of Lower Decks there is, it's a deep cut, but like way in the background when Tendi is first sporting the Cerritos, mm-hmm. you see in the background a um, a character who looks like he's a turbaned Sikh Starfleet officer. Yeah. And I thought like, okay, there's another group that, you know, blurs nationality, culture, ethnicity, religion, the way sure. we do, and here they are. So so I have high hopes. It,
0: it's unfortunate because Gene Roddenberry is, he's an interesting guy. I don't think he was much of a detail guy. And so as a humanist, uh, a fierce humanist, he's got this premise that in the future, people will trade religion for rationalism and humanism. But of course, leaves out completely the idea that many faiths are a cultural and ethnic identity as well. And I think it's highly unlikely that, honestly, that religion (laughs) period and religious tradition would be completely gone in the Federation's future.
1: Right, and we know from... um... Like, for example, in Data's Day, Data mentions that uh, the Hindu Festival of Lights, uh, Diwali, is being celebrated on the Enterprise-D. Yeah. Uh, Phlox mentions uh, attending mass at the Vatican uh, in Enterprise. So, you know, those references are throughout. Um, and, And I guess, like, it is crazy to imagine religion disappearing from the world, but Star Trek also expects us to believe that, like, nationalism and poverty have uh, have <laughs> vanished from the world. Yeah, um I yeah. I like to think that what's gone in in Trek's future is coercive religion. Um you know you talked about humanism and rationalism and like I'm big on those things too. Yeah, those are cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea that coercive uh, religion is is the thing that has disappeared. Uh, speaking of coercion, it I think it's interesting to note that If you read like extended uh, universe Star Trek books, you know, you will see references to characters' faith and observance. And it almost seems like it's just you know, the TV element of the franchise is where they're afraid of letting faith slip into their humanist utopia. I remember the flap that started a couple years ago over an Entertainment Weekly article that was published just before Star Trek Discovery was released, and it recounts an exchange between Jason Isaacs and series producer and writer Kirsten Beyer, where, um, as Captain Lorca, Isaacs ad-lib something like, you know, do it for God's sake. And Bayer reportedly told him that he couldn't say that because there's no religion in Trek. And it's like, it seems like being overcautious. I mean, Bones alone says, my God, Jim, about a million times in the original series.
1: Not just that, but I mean, all three of them, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, like throughout the original series and the movies, they have um, a literary familiarity with the Hebrew Bible. Like they'll drop quotes and allusions, like... Um, which is not to say that they're Jewish or Christian characters, but they have that knowledge sure. baked into them the same way they do of Shakespeare or Greek mythology, things like that.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, but in that case, just being the sense of them being, I suppose, well read or cultured rather than being particularly uh, observant. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's so interesting, too, because, you know, Gene was a guy that was surrounded by Jewish creators and writers, you know, in his own production, you know, the stars of his show are both Jewish and his executive producer is Jewish. And so there, these voices are all there, but they're, that didn't translate really to there being any, you know, as we mentioned, like explicit characters or like explorations of those ideas on screen.
1: Yeah. There's, um, there's an article by a journalist named Sheldon Teitelbaum uh, it's from 2015 mm-hmm. and you know we know that Gene Roddenberry is a complicated man with a complicated legacy and and Sheldon Teitelbaum asked Gene Roddenberry like is there a jewish character to elements of star trek and and Gene's answer is like pretty scary his <laughs> response was i'm i'm actually going to read the quote here go it was for it. you jews and hold up, we're already in trouble. Uh, yeah, you Jews have a lamentable habit of identifying those characteristics in a society that you deem positive, and then taking credit for them.
0: <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> <laughs> now let me tell you about my new creation, the Ferengi. <laughs> uh, you know, Leonard Nimoy has, has also said,
1: unfortunately, that you know Gene Roddenberry, that he observed him making anti-Semitic comments and comments about other racial and ethnic groups as well, and. He's a complicated man who expressed, you know, these humanist values, but didn't always live up to them. And yet we know at the same time that there were, there were Jewish creators in the show who, and my show doesn't try to say that every single thing we look at was intentionally putting Judaism into Star (laughs) Trek. Often we're just drawing parallels and looking for examples and ways of exploring Jewish texts or Star Trek texts. But there's things like, um, the Voyager episode Day of Honor that was made as mm-hmm. a Yom Kippur special or mm-hmm. um, Leonard Nimoy's depiction of Mount Selea when he directs Star Trek III which you know he's said in, in, uh, in interviews he was trying to go for like an ancient Israelite aesthetic so like in lots of places um, there's like authorial intent that yeah. <laughs> Gene Roddenberry perhaps didn't see or, or chose not to acknowledge.
0: It's, yeah it's just so strange like you said he's a complicated guy and you know the original series was of course produced in the 1960s and civil rights in relation to race were a hot button topic so Trek often deals uh, very explicitly with racial injustice but I guess representation in terms of uh, religious or cultural minorities was not on the minds of the producers
1: yeah. Yeah, and for the original series, it's excusable. But uh, come on, Star Trek—it's—it's it's time already. <laughs> Why
0: fifty some years later? Yeah, are we still in that situation? Uh, you know, it doesn't—it you know, doesn't mean that Jewishness isn't obliquely represented. And you gave some great examples, um, especially on the part of Nimoy. You know, I think everybody knows by now that the Vulcan salute was created by him based on the priestly blessing that he saw at an Orthodox synagogue when he was a boy. And a lot of online commentators have tried to connect the Jewish experience to events or specific depictions in the world of Trek. I remember reading an article when Star Trek 2009 came out that claimed that with the destruction of the planet Vulcan in the film, the franchise was attempting to sort of canonized the parallels between uh, the Vulcans and rabbinic Judaism. And the film, of course, was co-written by Alex Kurtzman and directed by J.J. Abrams, who are both Jewish. Would you agree that Vulcans as a culture can be read as Jewish?
1: Yeah, I think there's certain parts of Vulcans that, that can be read as Jewish. Um, in the original series, they kind of get tagged with a kind of Orientalism, like depicting mm-hmm. them as like the mysterious Far East other and mm-hmm. and that can play on Jewish stereotypes, but I think you know Muslims and uh, people from East Asia and South Asia get lumped into that as well yeah um, definitely like in Spock there there is a a Jewishness to him you know you mentioned the the Vulcan salute um, but you know Spock has uh, things in his life that that draw him to things in his life that draw parallels to Jewishness. And um, we see in his quarters, he, he has in Star Trek six, you know, depictions of, of um, like the fame scene of Jacob wrestling with the angel. And he approaches matters in a way that is, uh, logical, but in a pursuit of an ethical good, which I think is something that draws a lot of parallels to like the rabbinic system of thinking and like the way Jewish texts like the Talmud uh, try to approach, you know, law and morality. Yeah. Um, And then certainly, you know, when it comes to like the aesthetic, I think there's, there's an attempt to go for that also. I, I don't think in the original series, there is a single Vulcan with a speaking part who is played by a non-Jew. Like I think Sarek and uh, Amanda, uh, pardon me, not Amanda, Sarek and Spock and um, the betrothed um is, it is that her name? Yes. Um, and her her boyfriend um, are, <laughs> yes. are all played by <laughs> members of the tribe. Yeah. And in some ways that continues. And, and there's other... There are other species in Trek that I think um, Jewish Star Trek fans latch onto. I think the Bajorans have been a stand-in for many oppressed peoples and that some Jewish Star Trek fans like to see themselves in that, but that is true for many other peoples as well. Um, And interestingly, like even the the Klingons from time to time, there's there's some parallels that are drawn there, sometimes in good ways and and sometimes in not so good ways.
0: (laughs) Is there an episode or an aspect of the franchise that you personally feel is the most explicit representation of Jewish culture or faith, whether Intentional or unintentional on the part of the producers?
1: Um, the one that comes to mind the most is uh, is the episode Day of Honor from Voyager. Right, um, right. It's, uh, it's an interesting one. It's early in season four, right after Seven of Nine joins the show. And this one they set out to... Real, to explicitly make a Yom Kippur special. Okay. Uh, Star Trek's <laughs> never done a Christmas special unless right. you count uh, generations. And yet yeah. we have a Yom Kippur special that came out in Tishrei, the month leading up to Yom Kippur. Yeah, <laughs> And it, it really deals with the, the themes of the holiday, like related to atonement and, and um, balancing your good deeds and bad ones. Yeah. But it also deals, I think, with like, um, the Jewish North American experience where Belana is like, like a secular Klingon. And yeah. as she goes through the day of honor, she, she has to struggle with like what her relationship is to a holiday in a tradition that like, she doesn't totally buy into, but feels this like family connection. And like, yeah. do I fast and go to shul because my grandparents did, or am I setting out <laughs> on my yeah. own way? Is this yeah. a barbaric ritual or is this a meaningful thing for me? Um, so that's a really interesting one.
0: That's interesting. She's she's interesting as a as a mixed race character who's at odds with her heritage, and I, I'm sure there's a lot of non observant Jews who. Who feel for her in especially in that episode? My partner is Jewish, and her father comes from a family with a wide range of observance amongst the siblings. And her own family isn't particularly religious, but when she sees her aunts and uncles and their families practicing their faith, she thinks, you know, I should probably be a better Jew. (laughs) I I need to know more about this sort of thing.
1: And the reality of the Jewish experience in North America is that um, outside of, you know, very insular Orthodox communities practically every jewish person has uh has non-jewish people in their family whether that's cousins or a parent or or things like that that's that's the reality of the um of the multicultural society that we live in yeah. something that wasn't possible a century ago because because gentiles didn't want to marry jews a century ago well, yeah. uh, and so um the the situation has has really changed in a way that i think the jewish community sometimes resists but that i think has brought um a lot of positivity and inclusion um safety and um and new perspectives to the jewish world
0: and it's something that i think is sort of represented in um in Sarek's, uh marriage with amanda in a lot of ways um i think it's interesting to hear you <laughs> give these these anecdotes about the bad the horrible things that gene is saying about uh, a jews and then creating a character who is you know steeped in a in a tradition uh, who's marrying somebody who is completely outside of that tradition and then creating you know in their union a character who would you know wrestle with the two sides of his sort of personality and his uh, his cultural upbringings
1: yeah i mean i guess we could question how much of the Vulcan depiction really comes from Gene Ronberry versus, you know, sure. like I see a lot of Dorothy Fontana yeah, there. Yeah, and yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it, it could have been, he could have been like hands off by the time, I think Amok time is season two. So he's a little bit out of the picture by then. Yeah.
0: I suppose in his original concept, he's a devil guy. He's got, uh, he's got devil ears and, and red skin.
1: Right. A quarter Martian or something like that. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Something I'm always on the lookout for in Trek is when they mention holidays that they celebrate, and holidays often have an explicit or implied connection to religious tradition, even if they become secularized over time. I was watching the TOS episode Cat's Paw recently for a different podcast, and it's you know except for the Yom Kippur one it's the only semi official holiday episode in star trek and it's of course all, it's all about witches and spooks and ghosts and kirk mentions trick or treating in the episode but i wondered like do they still celebrate halloween in the 23rd century i mean hollywood or Hol- hollywood halloween is essentially completely secular on our own era but i wonder if a lack of religion and an embrace of secularity would leave halloween anywhere to stand in the federation's future
1: I'm just wondering if you can knock on the doors before they automatically open. They just, yeah.
0: yeah, the doors in Star Trek, they seem to they've read the script. They know like what's going on. So I bet they would stay closed <laughs> so you can set up your trick or your treat. It's
1: an interesting way of looking at it. I I don't think they ever I'm not sure I don't think they've ever mentioned Thanksgiving, um, New Year's, things like that. A, a mm. lot of our sort of civic y holidays are gone. Yeah. There's a there's a little bit of Christmas, I think it maybe in um Well, tapestry doesn't mention Christmas, but it's really doing Dickens. So I guess it has a Christmassy feel to it also.
0: Yeah, there's... um you know, like they celebrate like Federation Day or something like that on Voyager, which is like just about the most secular thing that you could create for for, for a Star Trek holiday. But
1: uh, I, I hear that. And I just think of like Ontario civic holiday. It's, oh. Like, oh, it's a Monday <laughs> off and it doesn't yeah. mean anything.
0: Sure. Yeah. The banks are closed. Yeah. Uh, you also address on a recent episode of your show, uh, the Ferengi, uh, which you call the um, the uh, elephant, elephant ears in the room. Um, and it's a race that I think, you know, reductively and anti-Semitically are often compared to Jews, but you go a lot deeper into the subject looking at pop cultural depictions of Jews or Jewish analogs, and you examine, too, some of the tropes uh, of that relate to Jewishness of the, the Jewish mother or the Jewish nice boy, which do get kind of folded into um ness with uh, a character like Mugi.
1: Yeah, it's a tough one because um, it's hard to divorce the way um, the Ferengi are depicted, especially in early TNG, from like really deeply rooted anti-Semitic stereotypes. Things that that go back to the to the Middle Ages of snarling, big-eared, uh, patriarchal, sexually obsessed, like all all these <sighs> tropes that get built into centuries of uh, of anti-Semitism. Yeah. Um, Gene had some weird ideas for the Ferengi. Like, let's not forget that instead of giant ears, he originally wanted them to have giant dongs. Um, (laughs) It's it's a tough one because the Ferengi are portrayed so lovingly by predominantly Jewish actors. And, like, I watch episodes like like Little Green Men or The Magnificent Ferengi, and I have, like, real, real affection for those. Yeah. Um, I think that, like... Gene Roddenberry didn't set out to make the space Jews, but when he set out to make a caricature of capitalism, he built it up with the anti-Semitic images that he had. I don't know if consciously or unconsciously, but um, there's really no way to to divorce them. And so, you know, there there is harm there. I think that maybe Star Trek needs to to make a little teshuva, like a, a repair or repentance on that. <laughs> um, but that... Um, in some ways it's, it's redeemed by the fact that like in deep space nine, the Ferengi are so three-dimensional and, and so interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, our, our, um, our guest on that episode, Jonathan Bromfman, who's uh, written a lot about um, gender and uh, racism, antisemitism in pop culture media. He makes the argument that, um, that the problem with the Deep Space Nine ones is kind of like Christian normativity that like whenever the Ferengi are seen as doing something positive, it's because they're like abandoning the traits that are that our media assigns to Jewish characters. Sure. Um, And I think there's like sometimes that that's true, but but there's also times like Like Treachery Faith and the Great River, where we just get to see like the Ferengi being their best Ferengi and saving the day through that. Um, So I I guess it's a mixed bag.
0: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to reconcile. I'd love to just, you know, think of them as primarily an, an indictment of capitalism.
1: I guess the problem with them being an indictment of capitalism is that they're not a very good indictment of capitalism. Like they definitely don't <laughs> look like, I, I don't see like Bezos and Zuckerberg in the Ferengi. They're more like the, the used car salesman. And I don't think you, like the local used car salesman is the one who's like driving capitalism to be a force of oppression in our world. <laughs> uh, so like in some respects they they fail as a critique of capitalism.
0: Not only, I mean, not only are they written much better in DS9, and of course DS9 as a whole is written very well, but I think it's a great example of sort of rescuing something that could have been just this, you know, horrible stereotype trope, and uh, kind of taking the ingredients you're given and 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 making something something positive, something good good out of it.
1: Yeah, sometimes I wonder what like the Star Trek franchise would have looked like if if they hadn't had that like Michael Piller change up in season yeah. three. And like, yeah. if they if they really tilted into uh, the Ferengi being the big bad and every other week landing on a sex planet and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, I think we'd have a very different kind of franchise today.
0: Yeah, I um, it's something that I really love about new Star Trek uh, CBS shows is that they've I think they've really accomplished so much in terms of delivering on the premise of Trek as a diverse utopia, especially in terms of representation. Mm-hmm. But I wonder sometimes since so many of them are set, uh, you know, in the in the history of the show, be it Discovery or the new Pike show, and not that you have to, but like if they committed to trying to depict you know the the cultural uh mores of the time that we see on display in the 60s like i think it you couldn't i think you'd make a lot of people angry and probably myself included but it's interesting to look back at Discovery now and go, oh, they're a lot more progressive than I remember Kirk and company being, you know, on their cardboard sets.
1: They make the point often in the uh, in the podcast, Women at Warp, that like the biggest problem with TOS today is not the cardboard sets or the coffee stains on the carpets. It's the <laughs> like rampant casual sexism that, yeah. you know, you basically see in every episode of the original series.
0: Yeah, yeah. We talked about the Bajorans before, and I think the Bajorans are often held up as an example of, you know, a society with a strong connection to faith and observance. And some people see them as an explicit reference to the Jewish people. I, I, I don't know how far I would go to agree with that, but I guess it's hard to kind of argue.
1: Whether or not they're explicit, I think that they're made to be um, a catch-all... For different oppressed groups and that different writers have treated them in different ways. So like in the episode, um, in the episode Ensign Row where we see them like in a diaspora in camps and connected to terrorism like that feels like uh, an episode being written about Palestinian oppression. Uh, And then we'll have an episode like like duet uh, near the end of the first season of Deep Space Nine where they're drawing like really close parallels to the Holocaust and to things that happened in like the prosecution of Nazi war criminals in the decades after that. Yeah. So I, I think that um, the writers succeed in letting Bajorans be a stand in for different oppressed peoples, and they tell different kinds of stories through them um, yeah. but i'm i 'm happy to take the Bajorans as sure. mine and and I identify with them even if i don 't think like like these are the space Jews,
0: yeah, or these are only the space jews yeah and it it doesn 't help that like the sort of the the yen to the yin that uh, of the Cardassians are often represented as. Uh, Fascistic and um, analogs for Nazis. So they sort of get caught up in uh, in being represented in those kind of stories as well. Absolutely. Uh, we were talking about new Star Trek CBS shows, uh, which you're watching, right? You're watching the new shows?
1: Yes, I am uh, up to date as of today.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, don't, I'm not. Don't say anything. <laughs> Still got to watch right. the, new, <laughs> the new episode of Discovery. Um, but I think that, you know, a lot has changed in terms of seeing... Uh, Jews or uh, Jewish analogs represented on screen with the newer shows, um, specifically with the premiere of Star Trek Picard, which was co-created and overseen by author Michael Chabon, whose works are intimately tied to his Jewishness. And you guys, um, you go over that in one of your episodes, um, the influences that he is clear, clearly putting into uh, his work on Star Trek Picard.
1: Yeah, um, I, I'm a big Michael Chabon fan. Yeah. Um, the Yiddish Policeman's Union is like one of my favorite novels yeah. and um, uh, he, he's got some terrific works. Um, I, the ways that he layered in the Jewishness in, uh, in season one of Picard are like usually pretty subtle, you know, like uh, naming a planet after a character from the the book of Esther, the planet Vashti, or, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, Dr. Benayun before, yes. uh, but I also think that um some of the themes of season one of Picard tie into like the Jewish experience in the 20th century with respect to like statelessness. And we see that both in in the Romulans and the the synths and like the experience as refugees or trying to keep your culture alive in a diaspora. Yeah. Um, those were themes that I thought were really strong at the beginning of the season and maybe didn't, uh, didn't dunk all the way to the end. Um, hmm. Which I think is true for, for a lot of thread points in season one of Picard where well, you know, um, their, their eyes were were bigger than their, uh, ability to execute, yeah. Um, but there were definitely some really interesting themes brought up there. Um, the golem is a great one. You know, the golem comes out of of um, Jewish mythology, like this idea of. The clay man which in in some ways like the legends of the golem are the basis for a lot of our science fiction stories of robots and androids yeah Uh, and and golem the word itself comes from uh hebrew like golami like an unformed uh mass um and so it'll be interesting to see uh how they play with um with Golem Picard uh, going forward in that show.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was wondering, too, Like, do you think that Golem is just a cool word for an artificial body, or are we to take as explicit the idea of the Golem of Legend being a, a protector, and Picard now has a protector role both for the nascent synth culture and also his uh, ragtag band of recovering adventurers?
1: Yeah, so the, the legends of the Golem are a little bit mixed, where sometimes the Golem is a protector, you know, who's taken form to protect the Jews of Prague against some Lord who slandered them and wants to kill them. But sometimes he's, the golem is like a monster. But I think what's fundamental about the golem is that unformed matter is made into life through the application of some ritualized magic. Mm. And so I think when they talk about, like when Dr. Gerardi says, you've made a golem, What she means is like, you've made an unformed mass that we can imprint life into. Uh, So I'm not sure if it speaks to um, whether Picard will be like a protector or, you know, I don't think he's going to go be murdering people in the night, (laughs) Um, but but rather like the unformed nature uh, that was the physical form before Picard was imprinted on it.
0: Yeah. I would like to see Patrick Stewart just throttling people Uh, (laughs) before he comes to his senses, It'll be the
1: Red Jack sequel.
0: Right, yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, we know that Terry Metalis will be replacing Michael Shabin as showrunner for season two, as Shabin will be developing his Cavalier and Clay series for Showtime. Do you think that Picard... Also a
1: great book. Very excited for that.
0: Yeah, I am looking forward to that as well. Do you think that Picard will retain its Jewishness in season two? Um,
1: I I guess it's hard to say... um... He's apparently still in the writers' room, and uh, and Akiva Goldsmith as well. So yeah, yeah, we'll see. You never know where where, uh, where a future season is going to go.
0: Do you, uh, with so many shows in development, like the Section Thirty-One show, the Pike show, uh, the new animated series? Um, do you see any potential in the future for more representations or uh, analogs of Jew- Jewishness in the uh, CBS Star Trek universe?
1: Yeah, you know, there's um, there is a moment in voyager where janeway asks chicote who's a very problematic character and his, oh there's boy. lots of things wrong with yeah. the way they depict in, indigenous cultures there and a lot yeah. of it has to do with you know this the sloppy acceptance of a fraudulent creative consultant <laughs> yes um, but there there's a moment in voyager that's always stuck with me where um Chakotay is asked if he believes in like the rituals of his people about like the stories of the rubber people. And he kind of says like, well, do you believe in Adam and Eve? Like he, um, he lives these traditions and rituals and they're a part of his identity and his outlook, but he is a scientist and a Starfleet officer and his decisions are based on reason and rationality. Um, and I would love to see a, a character like that in Star Trek. Um, I kind of hoped they would have done it with Sylvia Tilly um, who um, there's a great moment when she's releasing the tardigrade in season one where she actually recites um, a passage from Psalms and she says, may the sun and the moon guard your comings and goings. But she twists the saying from Psalms where she, takes God out of it and puts in the sun and the moon. In other words, she's, she's saying like, I'm going to use this, um, this literary tradition of the Hebrew Bible, but I'm going to put my own spin on it. And I thought like this would have been a great opportunity to make like a character who's a secular Jew, who's proud of their Jewishness, but, um, but is a Starfleet officer also, um, And it doesn't seem like they're going in in that direction, but yes, I, I very much would like to see that character. And, you know, the Jewish world is enormously diverse. And one of the problems we try to tackle in our show is this idea of like Ashkenormativity, like thinking of, if you think of the Jewish world as Jerry Seinfeld eating a bagel, you've bought into Ashkenormativity kind of like essentializing Jews as 20th century Eastern European immigrants to America. And the yeah. Jewish world is like so much more complex and diverse than that. So I would love to see like different depictions that uh, align to different parts of that uh, diverse Jewish world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of the strengths of your show as well as that you can relate the Jewish experience to to other ethnicities and traditions as well. Uh, like when you talk about Journey's End and TNG and their representation of, um, of indigenous people. And how they don't <laughs> really do that well either. And I guess I just really like to... I mean, we, we've we got so much in the past of Trek. We have so many mistakes that we've learned from, um, you know, why can't we have a, a native character that, that gets it right? I hope they do something like that uh, in the future on one of these shows.
1: Yeah, my co-host Chava, she mentioned on that show that like, that we're lucky that, you know, although there haven't been great Jewish depictions in Star Trek, like as Jews, we see ourselves represented in a lot of different places in pop culture. And I can think of shows like like Transparent or Marvelous Mrs. Maisel or Rugrats that show all kinds of different models of Jewishness. And uh, for some cultures, uh, that is not the case. And I think in the case of like the indigenous peoples of the Americas, film and television has been deployed as a weapon against them and against their cultures.
0: Yeah, that's unfortunately true. And even when creators and writers and showrunners try to make up for it, they, um, they miss the mark. Um, I I don't watch the show I'm planning to, but I read an article about uh, a character on Lovecraft country um, that was supposed to be a, um, Native American uh, uh, two-spirit uh, character. And the person who you know wrote it was not any of those things. And there's a lot of people who were unsatisfied with how it was depicted. And I think the character doesn't even stick around for that long on the show. And so it just, even today in 2020, we're still having these head-scratching moments of, you know, why aren't why aren't we letting these people tell the, their stories themselves? And um, hopefully that will, I think Star Trek should be the franchise that's leading the way in terms of seeing those stories on screen.
1: Yeah, And there's no excuse. Like there's, there's so many indigenous science fiction writers. It, it is just yeah. a matter of, of effort for shows to fix that. And like, even in the nineties, like Jamaki Highwater, who had <laughs> been this, the so-called creative consultant on Voyager and who had yeah. worked with, with Rick Berman on a previous project in the eighties, he had already been exposed as a, a fraud, as yeah. Jakey Marks, I'm sorry to say, member of the tribe as well. Uh, many years before Voyager, like it, it was, it was willful ignorance um, that, that allowed Jakey Marks to, to twist those depictions in Voyager. And uh, I think Star Trek has, has not repaired that wrong.
0: Yeah, a quick version of whatever the '90s equivalent of Google was, I mean, a couple phone calls would have uh, straightened that out. I think, but uh, I think it just shows like a lack of real commitment on the part of the production to to do that. So. Uh, hopefully we can absolutely we can turn that around with uh, with CBS Trek and what we've got coming up in the future, but we'll see. Well, thanks so much, Josh, for talking with me today. And I really recommend people check out your podcast, Star Trek and the Jews. It's very entertaining and informative. Aaron, thanks so much for having me. Uh, let people know where they can find you online. Great. Uh, you can find our podcast. It's called
1: Star Trek and the Jews, and the show does what it says on the label. Uh, our website is startrekandthejews.podbean.com. Dot com, or you can follow us on Twitter at Star Jews.
0: and then also you present um, some sources for some of the um, for the text that you talk about on um, Safaria. Is that right?
1: Yeah, from time to time, especially a guest, uh, if they're relying on a lot of primary sources, we'll throw those into Safaria, um, an incredible website like. Um, sort of a a wikipedia of jewish primary sources um and so those are helpful if you want to follow along Uh, our website also has the so-called hebrew school homework um though we announce those at the end of each previous episode as well well thanks again thanks aaron it's been great to chat with you